didn't want you to ask a question and then there not be a whole lot behind it, you know? Like, Mike, what is your current MyFitnessPal streak, please? (laughs) (laughs) Go. Crap, are we starting? (laughs) You're listening to the Propane Fitness Podcast, your ultimate resource for fat loss and muscle gain with none of the gimmicks. With your hosts, Yusuf and Johnny. Simple rules, dramatic results. Welcome to the Propane Fitness Podcast. We are here with Mike Teixeira. So pleased to have him on board today. He is a the was the author of Reactive Training Systems, uh, the founder of the kind of RPE-based approach, and 120 kilo IPF world record holder as well. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Good, good. Doing very well. Awesome. So, um, first question that I've just been burning to ask you this um would you rather receive a hundred thousand dollars tax-free or every time you poop somebody that you know begins to totally agree with you on every subject (laughs) i'll take the agreement (laughs) yeah it'd be a lot of people by the end of the by the end of the year so i suppose the question is can you create more than a hundred thousand dollars tax-free using that method that's the that's the question probably can you generate more agreement with a hundred thousand dollars on every or subject? Did you, uh, or do you value the the agreement of people that you know more than a hundred thousand uh, dollars? Yeah, so <laughs> agreement, cool. Yeah, Fine. yeah, for me, think, for think, me, for sure. Yeah, I think I'll I'd take, go agreement I'll take as well. That agree with me. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, you've, I mean, you've, you've got a platform for people to agree with you, I suppose. So. Um, <laughs> Secondly, yeah, it you, helps, right? Yeah, <laughs> it helps people. You know, you think rather, that you have interesting things to say. Like, I, I don't think RP is the way to train. Like, are you sure? I'm, like, just, I'm just gonna go to the toilet. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> Would you rather keep your current sleep schedule, or hibernate for three months and then have nine months of twenty-four-seven alertness without being tired, assuming no impact on anabolism? <laughs> I like how we threw in the Yeah, you know, I mean, we we know who we're talking to, right? <laughs> I, I guess I would keep it the same, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, I would definitely keep it the same. Like, I mean, if everybody was gonna uh, change their sleep schedule, then okay. But uh, so I have a, a family. I have a, a son who's two, and uh, I think if you know, if I was going 24-7, then, uh, you know, I had to sleep for three months. That wouldn't be so cool. But even worse, though, would be if he was awake for nine months oh, God. at a stretch. Uh, yeah, that you'd have to do what he's doing, wouldn't you? Yeah. The, the three months of trying to sleep and you'd be like, look, I'm trying to sleep here. Yeah. I, see, I hear that example and I just think like, oh, nine months of constant being like always being awake. Think of what you could get done some lonely nights I train think. five times a day yeah but it's I think sure it's, it's more the three months of sleep that would like how, when you schedule that socially awkward yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and so if more than one person are on this like is everybody sleeping the same three months or is it staggered you know i mean that's gonna so it's gonna make a difference in some things too the questions that keep us up at night right exactly this is, this is literally what keeps yourself up at night that's why it uses the podcast as a platform to make it <laughs> sit and really wrestle with these uh, these options anyway mike great to have you on the podcast so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself quick intro 
Sure. Um, I think you covered most of the highlights already. Uh, I am a powerlifter. You know, I've been a competitive powerlifter since the, you know, the early 2000s. And uh, I was good at it. And I uh, w- was also a cadet at the Air Force Academy kind of early on in my competitive career. And I kind of ended up being the de facto uh, team coach for the powerlifting team there. And since I was kind of thrust into that coaching role, um, you know, I'm trying to explain these ideas and things on training, trying to explain how to, you know, what does it feel like to people uh, who don't feel it, you know? So uh, a lot of the, the RPE language and stuff like that came from those early efforts. You know, I didn't invent RPE. Um, some people credit me with popularizing it, which is, which is pretty nice. <laughs> but um, I've managed to use it in strength training a lot more than I think a lot of other people did, especially, you know, kind of before those early 2000s. And from there, kind of the rest of the system evolved on top of that over the years, you know. So uh, in the time since then, um, you know, reactive training systems as a coaching business has uh, really grown a lot. Uh, we've coached at this point nine different IPF world record holders, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, different medalists at IPF worlds, you know, on down the list, you know, dozens of national champions and, and things of that nature, you know. So that's kind of the, the short history on, on where I came from and, and how I got here. Awesome. So, I mean, I think probably most of our readership will have heard of you from the, as you mentioned, the RPE. Yusuf's had enough, so he's, he's going. Um, <laughs> from the RPE-based training and, and, as you say, popularizing that. And I think specifically RPE as a, a reps in reserve um, measure how I mean this is a very general question but I suppose to give readers kind of a readers listeners a snapshot into you know what your training approach is and what it looks like do you want to just tell us a little bit about how you personally train and how that maybe looks right now and what you're working towards sure sure so um, I guess the the foundational tool that, that I use that's maybe different from <laughs> what a lot of people know and understand is the RPE system. So RPE stands for rate of perceived exertion. It's basically how hard did it feel? Uh, But I have to be careful saying how hard did it feel because some people kind of get this very emotional thing about like, Oh, that weight feels heavy today. Well, it's not that kind of feeling, you know, it's not this hyper emotional thing. It's, it's an assessment of your performance. So uh, that's where, you know, this one to 10 scale comes into play. And really we focus more on the, I guess, six to 10 end of the scale. So a 10 RPE is a maximum effort. Um, you know, you, that was all you had on that particular set, you know, no reps left in the tank. A nine RPE would be, you know, you did a set and you put the weight down and you say, I could have done one more rep if I had to. Um, now that's, given the same conditions and everything, like I, I talk to people about this sometimes and they think, well, if you had a gun to my head, I probably could have done one more. That's not what I'm, it's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying like same conditions, you know, if you're screwing up your technique, then, you know, that has to be part of the assessment, you know, anyway, I'm kind of, kind of going too much into the weeds on the RPE thing, but 
the idea is that there's this one to 10 scale on how hard did it feel. And we use that as a basis for determining our weights for each day. So where in a normal program, you might go to the gym and it requires you to do 85% for a triple. I would send you to the gym and say, do a triple at a nine RPE. And what that allows you to do is if you're having a good day, it takes a little bit more weight to generate that nine RPE. If you're having a bad day, uh, it takes a little bit less weight. So the weight on the bar auto regulates if the weight on the bar moves up and down based on your performance that day. So it allows you to take what's there. Uh, now you're doing a training program that you presume is producing results, right? That you expect it to make you stronger. So you should have good days, you know, the good days should outnumber the bad. So it should allow you to take what's there, you know, and put a little bit more weight on the bar. But then everybody has bad days. Those days happen. And when they happen, you put a little bit less weight on the bar and it allows you to still get the training effect from that session uh, without kind of dorking it up. You know, if I give you a fixed percentage and tell you to do, you know, 90% for a triple. Well, if you're having a good day, that might be possible, you know, but if you're having a bad day, that could lead to some misreps and misreps uh, come with a, a host of problems attached to them. So it's going to be better to actually make your reps and, um, you know, complete the training for the day and, you know, get the, the desired training effect. So that's kind of the central tool that's behind, you know, really almost all the training that, that I prescribe. But I guess your original question was more about my training currently. Is that right? Wait. Well, so yeah, <clears throat> about your your training system, and and you were pretty humble in your in your intro, and you didn't you didn't actually mention your own lifts, um, mm. but uh, <laughs> yeah, it it I think it's safe to say that your your system has has been able to um, produce, as you said, nine nine world record holders, and um, what what are your lifts again, Mike, in, in kilos? If you so can. my best lifts in competition, I've squatted seven hundred eighty five pounds, I've benched uh, four hundred eighty pounds. Uh, deadlifted 843 pounds. Do you know what they are in kilos off the top of your head? If not, we can we can convert. <laughs> <laughs> it's just lots, lots, and lots. I'll give you deadlift because that's the when I hit that's one. the one that I don't know uh, is most impressive. I've deadlifted 382, 382.5 kilos. That's quite heavy. <laughs> yeah, so, that's good. That's the, <laughs> that's the lift I was best at. Um, yeah. Fair enough. Was that hopefully we'll be best at again? So. Did that feel like an RPE ten when you did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> system sure. works then. So that's it. Proof of so it, for that particular lift, um, I used that lift in a lot of seminars and stuff just to illustrate some other points. But I also get to show a video of my of my best deadlift, which is nice. Um, but that lift in particular wasn't that hard to pull. Uh, but my grip was definitely given out at the top, so I was grateful to get the down command when I did. You know? I, I hate that. I've been I've been red lighted before, just holding a weight at lockout, waiting for feel... it just coming out your hands. Uh... And the judges are like, "No, <laughs> I'm gonna make you wait." Though. Yeah, dicks. I, so... I think if it's slipping, then you'll get held a bit longer. You mm -hmm. know, uh, which you know I can't I can't argue with that. But I've losing your grip on the deadlift has to be one of the most frustrating strength based. Things, you know, like anything else, you know, you miss a bench 
halfway or you miss a squat in the middle. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't strong enough to make that lift, but losing your grip on the deadlift, it's a strength based miss, mm. but so frustrating. Not, it's not the strength that you care about. Like you've done the hard bit. You're <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look guys, I've locked it up. You just, <laughs> just turn a blind eye to this one, please. Yeah. So, um, can you go over what's the, what's the advantage say over a training cycle, Mike, of taking what's there compared to, yeah, say like a, a, a percentage based periodized program? Good question, actually. So I think the advantage is that it allows you to, to stack up wins, you know? So you have this, this training period and you're going to have a number of training sessions in there. Um, the idea is that the training should produce results. Uh, you know, if it's well designed at all. So that first training session should have a positive training effect. And then when you get to the second training session, we want to build on that. And then the third training session should build on that one. Humans are complex organisms, you know, and by complex, I mean, I mean it in the nonlinear sense, we can't predict how much stronger you're going to be after each session. Even like, even for myself, I've been training myself longer than anyone else that I know, you know, so, um, I still can't predict my, my reactions to training to that degree. Like I couldn't tell you that, you know, three weeks from now I'm going to bench this much or, or anything like that. Um, I, I have an idea, you know, that it will be more than it is currently, but I can't really nail it down. So I need to have some sort of flexibility to make adjustments to the training. You know, the thing is that that's what all successful training schools have done since forever. You know, if you look at any, you know, perennially successful training school in pretty much any sport, they all use auto regulation to some degree. Now they may not use RPE in the sense that I teach it, but that's because the tools that I'm teaching are kind of specialized for powerlifters and, and really for powerlifters who are, training by themselves or not training with a coach that can, who's there with them holding their hand saying, why don't you add 10 pounds to the bar today or take 10 pounds off the bar today? You know, if you have that level of coaching interaction, then that's great. You don't really, you don't really need the more refined process, but you know, that takes a lot of experience to be able to just eyeball it like that. And most of us don't have that with us when we go to the gym. So that's where these tools can kind of come in handy. Some, something leading off from that, Mike, is that um, I think we've both used RPE-based programs in the past and had good like good experiences with it. But I think that what I struggle with is there's if you take like a percentage-based program um, and a set of three, to use your example, you have inherently you have a, an output or a, um, a level of performance that's possible on that day um, that can be defined by sleep, recovery, stress, nutrition, etc. But I think the way that it feels for me is that that's clouded by like an emotional state. So Absolutely. you go in the gym and you look at the training program and it says a set of three with ninety percent. <laughs> and yeah, as you says, like you've had a hard day at work, you think like, oh, God, I'm not going to be able to do that. But because the program is defined and prescribed in a percentage scenario, you do it anyway. Um, and that's a situation that's happened to me quite a few times. I find personally with RPE based stuff, that would be the scenario where I'd go, oh, you know what, like that's going to be hard. I'll maybe I'll drop the load a little bit. So is there kind of a, is that something you experienced a lot of people? 
is it just that I'm lazy? Is it, or is there kind of a certain psychology that you need for RPE-based training to be effective? Well, that's a, all of those things, you know, and, and you really touch on uh, a key component, and, and I should probably change a bit of, of what I teach a, a bit. So in the beginning, when we were first teaching about this, nobody knows what RPE is, uh, nobody uses it, and so the teaching has to be more from a standpoint of, of look at this thing, here's the value of it, right? Mm -hmm. But now it's, it's much more widespread and it's not such a foreign concept. So people are experimenting around with it and, and using it a lot more than they used to. But even in those scenarios, there's, uh, there's a balance that needs to be walked. You still need to have expectations, but we just have to be willing to modify those expectations uh, given certain cues in our, in our training. So what I would say is that if I send you to the gym, say do a triple at a nine RPE, you don't just show up at the gym with no expectations. You know, uh, what I do in those scenarios, I have, I still have a, a target weight, a weight that I would like to hit, you know, and this is, if everything functions as normal, then this is what it's going to be. And it's a little bit more than whatever I did last time, you know, just, just a shade more. And as I'm working up to that weight, I'm monitoring how I'm performing, you know, monitoring my RPE, but it's really monitoring how I'm performing. And if my performance is normal, then that's the weight that I'll take. If my performance is better than normal, then I may go over that weight just a shade. Uh, and then if my performance is substandard, it'll be below it. Now, that's an assessment of my performance. If I feel tired and I feel unmotivated and stressed and distracted, that's important information but that by itself isn't cause for me to reduce the weight you know that's information more in a in a global sense that i need to manage my stress manage my recovery but i wouldn't necessarily reduce the weight on the bar unless it's actually affecting my performance that day okay you know and you you mentioned you know a certain mentality absolutely there's a mentality that that works with rpe and there are plenty of mentalities that don't, you know, uh, what I describe it as is like a, a controlled aggressive mindset. You know, you, you have to want to add some more weight to the bar, you know, and most of us, I think have no problem with that. Most of us have been doing this for a little while, but I do see, especially more on the novice end, people get really focused on like absolutely perfect technique like way beyond, uh, the level of OCD, you know, but, uh, to the point where it's not helping them anymore, you know, and they just need to add a bit more weight to the bar. So you, you have to have that, you, you have to want to add a bit more weight to the bar. Uh, but then you have to be willing to, you know, assess your RPE honestly as well. Mm. We all know people and maybe are guilty of it ourselves a little bit of, you know, doing a set and saying, Oh, that was an eight RPE when it was clearly more than that. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I remember you saying that. It, it, so we we were we were at Mike's seminar um, a few weeks ago now, which was fantastic. It was a, it was a full day um, of talks, lifting workshop, and um, a full training log and, and guide. And he he took us through a process for um, programming assistance movements as well, which we'll discuss. But on that point when you mentioned that you do have to have this natural leaning, this kind of inclination towards trying to push the weight a little bit more. 
Um, totally agree. And I think someone said, oh, well, isn't that kind of a flaw in your, in the idea? And, and, and you said the, the, the answer was really good. It was like, well, if you're, if you're lifting weights and you're in this game, then, and, and you haven't got that inclination, you're not trying to lift heavier weights and why, why are you What's doing the point? this? Like, what, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like, I mean, at that so point, of course, kind of do whatever you want. Then. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, we have to make that as the fundamental assumption so mm. that RPE can then be the thing that limits you and the thing that um, is what keeps your recovery in check so that um, you can continue continue making progress. I suppose the worst case scenario is that you're lifting less weight over time and your RPE, your, your RPE is increasing. And that, you know, but that's never going to... Yeah. It takes a so, weird so personality. That, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and one thing we like to do to... I guess, see those sorts of trends. Um, we track our estimated one rep max. And now we've got a, an app that allows us to do this on, like from our website. Uh, it's just a, a free training log app. Um, but by inputting, you know, the weight, the reps, and the RPE, it generates a, a fairly accurate, surprisingly accurate estimated one rep max. And then you can chart that over the weeks and see, yes, I'm actually getting stronger or hey, actually, I'm not getting stronger. And if you can identify those trends early, then you can make corrective changes to your programming and do something to get that line moving in the right direction. Something that um, I, I think I actually bought one of your um, seminars long, long time ago now where you kind of explained the concepts and how to program. Um, there's a phrase you used, which was that RP is like the, the scope of a rifle. Um, and it's yeah. programming itself is just a tool to apply to any program. Something sure. that I've used with programming that I do in my, my own training is the reverse engineering, as you say, from your RPE-based um, percentage chart. What was that sets, reps, RPE, load, and then predicted warm-up max. And that does tend to be um, pretty accurate. And it's a nice way of, as you say, like spotting trends within your training, etc. cetera. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, you, you showed us your like the area of your website that has those features on, so... It's a good, yeah. it's a good feature to yeah, use. Really to, sophisticated, yeah. yeah. Something just oh, before thanks. we move on to assistance work, Mike, that I wanted to ask you was, um, if we take like a standard 12 week um, prep for a competition, um, something that's been kind of a mainstay in my own training and something that I would program personally is some kind of um, performance test or evaluation, maybe four weeks out from the competition to see where we're at before maybe moving into a peak or a taper that might be something like, um, you know, a set of three at a percentage that exceeds what you might expect to be possible for a set of three. So over 90%, for example, do you do anything like that with RPE based programming? Or I imagine it's a bit harder to force by nature. Well, not really, you know, you can fairly easily do, uh, do things like that. Uh, one thing that I like to do, uh, currently, we have we have a bunch of different training strategies and and we use different ones depending on who exactly we're working with. Um, but one thing that we've started doing, we started out doing it more with advanced lifters and we've kind of pushed it down to where even I'd say like a, a mid level intermediate lifter, um, we will add a, a singles at eight RPE into the training. And so you get to the point where you're doing singles at eight RPE. Every week now, a single at eight RPE is something that's slightly heavier than your opener. Um, 
you do that single and you look at it and you go, that, if that was my opener at a competition, I would be like, eh, that was a little bit heavy, you know, um, in terms of assessing the bar speed, you know. So you're looking at something that's maybe 92, 93% for most people for a single, and you do that weekly, and that has a number of benefits. One is that um, it gets you a lot of exposure to those heavy weights, and there's a skill aspect of, of lifting those heavy weights, and you get a lot of practice at that skill. And another is that it gives you a really clear idea of where your strength is at at any given time. You know, that single at 8 RPE should move gradually heavier throughout the course of the cycle. You know, and if it's not, that's a good indication of your progress. And then it should also, the, the whole thing should give you, um, should inform on what attempts you should take at the competition. So you get a really good idea of what you're capable of based on how these uh, how these sets play out. So that when you're in you the know, kind of the, sorry, the more high percentage that you that you operate at, you know, and singles. Uh, higher RPEs and things like that give you a more accurate estimated 1RM. So doing singles at 8 RPE gives you a pretty good idea of what you're capable of. And if nothing else, that can form a really solid basis for your attempts at a competition. Great. That makes that makes perfect sense. I think I remember using that example um, in the seminar talking about the use of um, of singles. I know of probably three people who have started using singles in their from that seminar that are now doing that. So, <laughs> yeah. um, well, any, any excuse to do a heavy single, I suppose, isn't well, it? Well, it's fun too, right? Yeah. So let's let's not forget that <laughs> if you like lifting weights, you like lifting heavy weights, and lifting heavy weights is fun. Yeah. So uh, there, there's definitely <laughs> that aspect to it as well. We've gotten plenty of people strong without using that. So people that are, you know, whatever philosophical reason opposed to that method, that's not a requirement. You know, and I guess more to the core of your of your point, when we do use methods that don't employ those heavier singles frequently, then usually I, I like Shaco's recommendation of like 14 to 21 days out from the competition, we'll have a heavier training session. That's where we'll place our heaviest session. For us, a lot of times, if we're not using those singles, then it's going to be like a double at a 9 RPE. You know, so we're going to take something fairly heavy. It's going to give us a good indication of, of where our maxes are at. But um, I was just talking with someone this week, actually, about about this. So say we're three weeks out from the competition. That's where you have your heaviest session. So from there, you go back to some slightly lighter weights and higher volumes, you know, and then into the taper. I found that if you keep the weights heavy, you know, at that two week out point that people have a tendency to peak too early. It drops the volume too much. So you have, you do that kind of testing day, you know, about three weeks out and then you've got to come down off of that intensity so that the volume can go back up uh, so that you can maintain that peak into the competition. Cool. And I think, um, setting the singles at eight as well, it kind of, um, you know, means, it satisfies that 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 itch to do heavy singles but at least keeps it in check as well so mike how would you recommend someone who hasn't tried rpe to to dip their toe in let's say someone's had a bit of bit of training experience and wants to give it a go well i i don't recommend just diving in actually um there is a bit of a skill component to rpe 
training. So what I would say is whatever you're doing currently, keep doing it. And you should have a training log where you're recording everything. Uh, and if you don't, you should fix that. Um, <laughs> and what you should do to start with is just to record your RPE. Just write it down, you know. And what will happen is at first it's kind of all over the place, you know. But then as you get more familiar with how the weights are feeling and you're paying attention to it more, your skill gets better. And over time, what will happen is at some point you'll notice, you know, I do this 85% triple in every week it's an 8.5 RPE every week. And then this week it's an eight RPE. I wonder if I should move the weight up a bit. And when you find yourself asking that question, that's when you know it's time to, to start moving more toward an RPE based system. You know, your, your judgment is getting good enough that you're willing to rely on it. If you're wondering what these numbers mean of eight and 8.5 and so on, we'll put a graphic, um, on the, uh, on the YouTube video and in the article as well that gives you um, a, a kind of view of, of how you would rate a set out of 10. And so, so then I suppose you can, you can start doing daily household tasks and rating <laughs> them to an RP as well. So you can do vacuuming, yeah. uh, drinking a cup of tea, see how many reps you've got left in the tank. Driving, so, driving to the shop out to a nine. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, you know, how seeing, much food can you eat at a given meal? Absolutely. Oh, nice, yeah. Absolutely. Like, so you could do that with pizza, 10 slices, Set up a spreadsheet, ideally. How many more slices could I have eaten? <laughs> the you mentioned like keeping a <laughs> slices in reserve. Um, you mentioned uh, that, well. It seems seems to me like a lot of the system relies on um, having having records of what you've done and, and not just winging it. Because you know, if you're just arbitrarily rating everything um, on a ten point scale and you have no reference point, then it has no value. So. I remember at the seminar you showing me your training log and it is yeah. the most complicated spreadsheet I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. So what would you recommend for someone who's doing a program now who wants to apply RPE? Like what, what sort of variables are important in your opinion to keep track of with your training? Like do you, do you track things like time of day, scale weight or anything like that? Or is it literally just the, the weight on the bar reps and, and an RPE? Um, so it, it depends on how close we want to look at things. So I can tell you from a, from a coaching perspective, the first thing that I look at is that estimated 1RM trend. And if that's moving in the right direction, there's, there's going to be inaccuracies with any estimation. Mm -hmm. But as long as it's consistently moving in the right direction, then we know that you're getting stronger. And if you're getting stronger, then a PR is inevitable. We also do want to keep track of body weight because it's a weight class sport for the most part, but you want to make sure that that's not getting out of hand. But that's also a useful diagnostic tool for if things start to uh, go awry. You know, if your estimated 1RM is not moving in the right direction, you know, things you're find that you're getting weaker, and then we can look at your body weight and say, ah, oh, well, you've dropped 10 kilos or something. You know, that might be the reason. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Well, you know, so in those cases, we would, you know, use scale weight as more of a diagnostic. Um, but after that, when it comes to um, analytics in the in the training log and, you know, what's my total volume and how's that volume distributed across intensity zones, it's definitely useful. But 
I, I use it to diagnose and address problems that I see rather than uh, make prescriptive changes, you know. So I, I wouldn't, you know, look at someone's training and immediately go to, you know, reps in each intensity zone. Um, because if things are moving in the right direction, who really cares? You know, they're getting stronger, uh, you know, and as long as something really weird isn't happening, then that's the point, you know. And, mm. and if they're getting stronger and the, you know, the volume is wrong, then they're still getting stronger. That's, you know, if you're getting the results that you want doing it the wrong way, then it's not the wrong way. Mm-hmm. You know? it's, I suppose it's the same with, um, you know, something that we're really big on with our clients is, is keeping track of nutrition. And I think it's hard, sometimes hard to communicate the value of that to begin with, because they're like, well, I'm losing weight. So why do you need to see a record of how many calories I've eaten, etc. But as you say, it's, it's diagnosing a problem when it happens. You know, if you, if something's going wrong and you don't know why, then you can't make a suggestion of what to change. So having as much information. That's that's one of the big things about stuff like tracking your calories or keeping a training log is that you, it's putting money in the bank because at the time where you need it, you can't just go back and and create it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you haven't been tracking it, then it's just gone. You know, I can't tell you, I can't tell you what my RPEs were from yesterday without looking it up in my log, you know, Mm -hmm. much less two or three weeks ago and, you know, establishing an average over a course of period of time or something like that, like that you have to track that preemptively. And if you don't, then it's, it's just gone. And and when you need it and you will need it eventually, uh, you won't have it. I remember you saying in the seminar, I can't remember the exact example, but you were saying something like, um, you'd hit a bench press or a bench variation that was kind of one of the best you've hit in any training cycle. And you knew that exactly. And then you could trace that back to, oh, well, I tried these bench variations. So I I imagine that combination of training and assistance led to that PB or PR. And having that kind of information, especially when you're at your level and and beyond, you know, it's so valuable and so necessary, I suppose. There There was an article that I saw, I think it was just yesterday, uh, that was talking about uh, individual variants in scientific research. You know, so we do a study and and kind of the headline is, you know, uh, X protocol improves results by X percentage or something like that. Um, but within that uh, sample, there's a tremendous variance in terms of response. Now, that gives us a great starting point. Uh, for figuring out what's going to work for an individual, uh, what's likely to work for an individual. But I have to keep in mind as a coach that I'm working with an individual, not, you know, I'm not just trying to churn out uh, on average the best results. I need to get as much results as I can for this individual, you know. So we have to then begin experimenting and figure out what does this individual need to progress at the, at the best possible rate. You know, so I think the example that I used in the seminar was for me so far, because these things always change over time. So far, it looks like one board press is a very effective assistance exercise for me, but that may not be the case with someone else. But if I'm writing a training program for me, then it doesn't matter. You know, Mm. Uh, I need to know that I need to know what exercises and what protocols are best or most effective for me. And I need to be able to include that into the into the training. That's a really good point that 
you're trying to get the most out of the individual, not just get the best average results from people. And right. I think that's something people miss a lot of the time. And also, like, in terms of the validity of the studies that are saying X protocol produces Y result. And if you've got some trend within the two the two experimental groups, um, you know, like someone who's a bit taller might respond better to whatever, then sure. instantly you've yeah, invalidated mm. stuff. Okay, that's part one of our interview with Mike Tushera. Tune in next week to listen to his approach to programming the best assistance movements for you, his simple diet method, and some advice on weight category selection, as well as a lot more. See you guys next week.